0: It's been a solid camp with work and, um, you know, getting guys ready. It's a little different uh, with all the stuff and mixed fields and things like that. But it's been a pretty good camp as as far as the prep work for the first week. I feel comfortable with that Um, and enough time to kind of continue to kind of drill down on some of the fundamental stuff that we want to work on.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast, now also a weekly segment on Slam Radio's Miami Herald Sports Hour on Sirius XM. I'm Jordan McPherson, joined this week by the good old Andre Fernandez, who's fresh off a weekend the land covering high school state soccer and is ready to get back to baseball talk. How have you been, Dre?
0: Oh, I I needed Sunday to recoup, but I'm good. I've got the baseball hat back on right now, you know, put the soccer hat down and ready to go, ready to talk some spring ball with uh, three weeks left now in spring training, my friend.
1: Yeah, three weeks and you have the hat on backwards. Which hat are you wearing today, Dre? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I uh, well, it's, it's a, it's a rerun. It's a rerun. I happen to, I just threw on the, uh, the, the Lumber Kings hat, but I've got the salt river rafters one near nearby. The jumbo shrimp is my next one. I think I'm, I'm saving my next hat that I'm going to put on for, for the, the, the round table when other people can see it on the zoom and, and we can, we can poke some fun at my, uh, my hat wear. There we go. All right. And as you
1: said, we're three weeks away, which means we're a week into spring training games And there's actually been a lot that we're able to digest and start to understand about where the Marlins are with their team as we get closer and closer to that April 1st opening day. And the first thing I really want to talk about is the lineup, which finally, it seems like we have some sense of normalcy of how Don Madeline going to roll out his regulars once we get to opening day. Mm -hmm. And it really just goes off of the four or so games that we've seen the regulars. Corey Dickerson and Starling Marte are going to be 1-2, and it's basically going to determine whether they're facing a lefty or a righty, who's one and who's two. And then the three and four spots, again, this is assuming that there's no designated hitter. Pick two of Garrett Cooper, Adam Duvall, Jesus Aguilar, whichever two of the three are playing in first base and right field, look like they're going to be three and four. Brian Anderson looks like the five hole. Uh, Whoever gets that second base job between Eson Diaz and Jazz Chisholm looks like they'll be the six. Miguel Rojas at shortstop is the 7, Jorge Alfaro the 8, and whoever the, pitch, whoever the starting pitcher is going to be in that 9 spot, which this looks semi-familiar to most Marlins fans because this is what we saw last year, but it's good to see at least that we know that they're going to be moving forward and trying to replicate that group and hope that the results actually come over the course of a 162-game schedule compared to some inconsistency that we saw over the 60-game.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm always intrigued by the leadoff spot because that's something that, you know, we've seen like in recent years since they since D Gordon was traded that they just haven't had a guy, you know, I mean, for like a minute last year you had VR there, but with some consistency. But now, at least in terms of, you know, who you're going to rotate back and forth, that's some something on that front there. Two guys that have a lot of experience. I mean, you look at, you know, Dickerson, you know, he did he did that a little bit last year for them. You know, he's hit in his career. I'm looking at a 278 out of that spot, which isn't bad. You know, the OPS is 802, 27 home runs, so not too bad. And then you look at Marte's numbers in that spot throughout his career, kind of similar. He's done it 262 times in his career, 269. The OPS is a little worse than Dickerson's, but 24 home runs. And we know Marte can, can run pretty well, too, 18 triples out of that spot during his career. So you hope that there's some production to set the table up at the top there. When you look at those guys and then, you know, from that point on, then we know I, to me, I would probably put Cooper Duvall in that third. And then you obviously you put Aguilar at fourth. But I know it's also a matter of balancing your lefties in the lineup too, which there aren't that many of them. We know that whoever wins the second base job is one of them. And looking at it down at the bottom of the lineup by putting Dickerson up there, then you have, you know, two kind of spread out there. Kind of ironic considering when you look at it, the prospects, once they finally start arriving, they're going to be swimming in lefties. It's going to be like even like Lewin Diaz, for example. We're going to talk about him later. But he would he's a guy that in theory could come in, maybe put him somewhere in the middle. And with his power, I mean, that's a tremendous uh, asset right there. And then you saw, you know, Brian's hitting well in, in in spring so far. You know what Miggy's going to bring right there. And he's, Miggy's been traditionally pretty good. Even at the uh, further down the lineup, you know when he's hitting those spots, and then of course catcher he put Alfaro at eighth, and and you hope that like we have talked about that you know and so the the plate discipline improves a little bit, and 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 that way it translates to more production.
1: And I really like Brian Anderson. We saw Donnie originally started him in the two hole to start last year, hoping that the steady plate appearance that he had before would would replicate up top, and we saw just how much pressure Brian Anderson puts on himself. And then Donnie later near slim down to the five hole and he took off. You saw him a lot more relaxed, a lot more comfortable, knowing that when guys are on base in front of him, that he's able to just focus more on driving them in more so than having to produce just by himself to, to work out for other guys. And having him in that five hole behind the four veteran guys. And again, Anderson's essentially a veteran on this team anyway, but to have those four pure hitters in front of him, that just puts a little bit less pressure on him, and ultimately, the hope is that he'll be able to start producing as a result of that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, you look at Brian, and you, you know, not you look at other teams in this division, and everybody talks about the big names and whatnot. Brian Anderson, he's right. He's, he doesn't have that flashy name that people talk about, but you look at him; he's been consistent. He's been. You know, the, the, the running joke I know among our circles was always, uh, you know, Joe would have the hashtag, Joe Fersaro would have the hashtag of top five third baseman. But it's true. In terms of defense, this guy is a gold glove caliber potential guy. You know, the problem was he was split in time before, but now sticking at third base, you really can see the jump he's making and the jump at the plate. And right in the heart of that order, number five in the five spot. It's gonna be a big role this year for them if they're gonna to have to be able if they're gonna be able to contend against some of the big teams that they're gonna run into. A lot of the big arms that they're gonna have right off the bat that they're gonna face this season, which is gonna be a gauntlet for sure.
1: Yep, we have that gauntlet. And then on that lineup, just the quick update on the second base competition position battle, what have you. We're mm-hmm. a weekend, and it's at the point where Marlins manager Don Maddenly said Ison Diaz or Jazz Chisholm will be at second base every day the rest of the way to make sure both of them have their at-bats and have enough time to be ready whoever gets the spot. And it's pretty even at this point, I would say, after seven games, we're into game eight today. But looking at the last two days alone, Eson Diaz is really starting to pick things up. I know everybody's looking at Jess Chisholm as the running favorite. He's a Derek Jeter handpicked guy after – being traded from being acquired from the backs in the Zach Allen trade, but Eson is making a mission to show that he's still there. Uh, on Sunday against the New York Mets up in Port St. Lucie, he had three of bats. He had a triple down the right field, down the right field line. He had a home run that he had a hit that was almost a home run, but the wind swirling towards right pushed it foul. But all three of his bats, he took 19 pitches, had professional appearances, professional approaches is look great as well, but it's a matter of whether they're going to go for the flash, the pop, or the consistency. And right now, you're seeing both sides of that from both of these guys.
0: Yeah, and and to me, it's like what we said. Right now, we were saying this right before we started recording. But talk to me again in two weeks, exactly. And let me know if Eson is still doing this in two weeks, or is it just you know a hot start and it's spring training? You know all the variables when it comes to spring training pitching. You can't. It, it's not the same as regular season in game you know, type pitching that he's seeing right now. But yes, he's doing all the thing he, things he needs to do to be able to win this job and win this job from a guy that the Marlins like a lot. And that's Jazz Chisholm right now, which I would still say is the front runner to land this thing. But if in two weeks or so, when we're getting down to the nitty gritty, if Diaz has just blown them away, it would only be a good thing for them because if you think about it, he solidifies that second base spot. We all know Jazz has the long-term, you know, approach of probably being the shortstop. So if he were to swing this in his favor, it just adds to the depth that they would have. And if Jazz has a strong spring as well, I mean, these are all good things in, in the grand scheme of things for them if we see that happen. But to me, you know, we've seen that before with a lot of players. And to me, it's like it's a good sign. It's definitely what you want to see out of him. But again, end of March is when I want to see. I want to see. I want to hear that he's done this for three, four weeks in a row and it's not a mirage. And he's and this is the truly the guy that they're going to have going into the season.
1: No doubt about it. And now we're done with the lineup talk. We have some news on the pitching front that happened middle of last week. Gio Gonzalez is coming home, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, The Hialeah native, the 12, 13 year MLB veteran. He signed a minor league deal with the Marlins last week. He's in big league camp. He's throwing his first live batting practice session on Tuesday. Uh, Dre, from the high school perspective, you were around during the time back when he was in the, back when he was playing down here at Hialeah High and then finishing at Pace, just let's reflect back on those days before we transition into what he could be bringing to the Marlins in this season.
0: Today's make me feel old moment is brought to you by <laughs> Gio Gonzalez. Thank you, Gio, who is now 35, by the way, which reminds me of how I'm 41 and remember covering a regional final where Hialeah went up and played Western High out in Davie and Gio was just, lights out it was double digit strikeouts i can't remember the exact number but i know it was something where the western hitters had no clue what was coming and you knew this kid had something you know the big the the lefty he was very very like you know skinny kid but but you know with his frame he looked like he could play potentially at the next level and then you saw him i saw him pitched also at legends field when they used to have the state championships there which they still did but uh you know, he, he was dominant in those appearances too highly. And then at the end, he went to pace. The final season was strong there. And, you know, the, from there, the rest is history with him. So, I mean, it, it was every time he became a free agent, like in recent years, I think there was always that buzz like, hmm, is this the time the Marlins might go get him? You know, because he want I know, I, I, we, like you wrote, it, it's something that he's wanted, I think. In the, it's been in the back of his mind, like if it ever could work out where he could come down here and pitch in front of the hometown. It's a shame it's taken until he's 35 years old, but if he comes in, I think it's, he's someone that if he stays healthy is the biggest thing because when you look at it and you, you know, you'd like, it's a feel good story, but if he's the fifth starter, something went wrong, either Trevor Rogers, you know, something happened or maybe Nick Neidert isn't the right, it ain't the right time yet, which it should be by now. Or maybe something got, you know, something happened. In the sixth, though, whatever, whatever you want, the case may be. If he's the fifth starter going into the season, unfortunately, it probably means that someone that one of those prospects, something didn't work out, and and it's out of necessity. So, while you hope Geo can earn a spot, I think that's the biggest thing. Is I think for them is that he gets a spot because I think he, to to get back to the original point, he he can add some depth. He adds some some experience there, even if it's maybe a long relief role. Let's say you know, going in, but I think that, that's something that you want to see. And the biggest concern with him would be the health, you know, if he could stay healthy, he's had some injuries. So if he could stay productive on that, and he was productive two years ago for Milwaukee, but if he stays on the mound, if he could stay healthy, is the biggest thing. And then think that'd be, that'd be cool. Be like this year's, you know, local South Florida, feel good following up on, on the whole Eddie Alvarez story last year.
1: Yeah, definitely. And to go off of those numbers back, the numbers in 2019 when he was with Milwaukee 19 games, 17 starts, a 3 5 ERA. I mean, career 3 7 ERA over just shy of 2,000 career innings. You know that he has that mentality. He has that ability to eat innings to get some long outing out there, which yeah. is potentially going to become a necessity at this point, knowing that Matt, Natalie has said multiple times that they're not sure if their guys or if their young pitching staff is going to be able to do the 25 to 30 starts are going to be necessary this year in a 162 game season after being in a 60 game season where outside Pablo Lopez, no one got more than 10 starts.
0: Right. So and that's why I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was ahead. saying that that's why I think it's, it's important if he can get a spot on the team, you know, maybe not. A, I mean, even if it's like, like, like you're saying, either long relief roll, a spot starter, a guy who can come in, maybe he's in the rotation for a few weeks, a month, if someone's out, you know, so, something, something, something where he patches up a need on the team, on the pitching staff. And I think he can do that if he stays healthy.
1: Definitely. And speaking of health of one guy who we need to talk about with the rotation, so Sanchez, Uh, first off, we knew that he was delayed early in camp because of a visa issue. He showed up and started working out about five days after the rest of pitchers and catchers. And then he had a second setback. He had a false positive COVID test, which set him back for a second time this spring to the point where he just he threw another bullpen on Sunday. Marlins manager John Mattingly said he looked, quote-unquote, really good. But now the question is, is there enough time for him to get ready for that first go-around with the season? Mattingly said he wants a 6-0 the throw, to be ready to throw at least five innings or between 75 and 80 pitches in order to feel comfortable for him to be on the roster. We're about three weeks away. He hasn't thrown the live game yet, and his – Bullpens, I'm assuming, would be around the one or two inning mark at this point. Where would you be? Where would your head be at
0: with this right now, Dre? I think it's going to cut it very close. And the one thing, though, and and we were talking about this before too, the schedule, the way it breaks, it may present with the off days early on. It may present an opportunity to maybe skip a turn in the rotation early on, maybe skip a turn twice. So if that happens, that could be that one little cushion there where maybe they could stretch him out a little bit more. And then maybe bring him in for the first time this season, maybe on the third go round there, and have him on. Maybe maybe they, you know, bring, send him down to start the season, with the purpose of okay, you're going to come in in week two, week three, and that's it. And then it takes off from there, and that sort of thing. That way he that way he continues to get work, you know, and and somewhat obviously we know the minor league season is not going to be till May, but he can continue to throw his innings there at Jupiter until it's ready, until it's time, and then put him on there. And I'm ready to go, but that, thats what I'm thinking because it's, the window here, this with spring training, considering you know the fact that he hasn't thrown a lot of innings yet, is, is tightening a little bit. Not impossible, but it would really cut it close to where he'd have to ramp it up pretty soon in the next couple of days to to really get it there if he's going to be on, you know, in there that first wave of starts.
1: Yeah, and to break down that schedule, season starts on April 1st. They have their three-game series against Tampa. Day four of the season's an off day. Right. Then they have four games in a row, three against St. Louis at home, and then the, a game against the Mets in New York on the eighth, and then they have another off day. And then right. they have uh, seven, eight, nine consecutive days in a row, games in a row. So there right. is a chance that they could easily do a four-man rotation those first two turns. Correct. And right. then go to, once you hit the 11th, which would be game nine, you can start five, you start the five-man up, and you'll be have everybody on schedule and in sync, and it gives six still enough time to get the reps, which would mean they'd be carrying it would be a six. It would be a Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez, and I would assume Trevor Rogers as that fourth spot, unless yeah. Nick igniter impresses enough to to hop over him, or they start with those five in general, and then they just swap one of Trevor one of Trevor or Eliezer in place of Sixto once is ready.
0: Exactly. So don't nobody panic if he's not on the opening day roster. This probably would be the reason, but. I think it's with, with the purpose of he'll be back event very soon into the season. Maybe like, like we were talking about, like after that point when you go five and then, and maybe he's the first one when they hit that turn and go five, just to kind of balance it out, but we'll see. But that that's, if, if they miss that window to be able to build him up in time, I'm I'm thinking that's probably what they're going to do.
1: Yep. Definitely. Oh, uh, we're going to take a really quick break here. And then once we come back, we're going to finish the segment. We're going to talk, we're going to do a, Big, deep dive in the, into some of the prospects who have been impressing in spring training. So, we will be right back and we'll see you in a second.
0: You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. We'll do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. All right, and we're back,
1: everyone. Uh, Spring training, obviously a lot of the topics that we are trying to figure out are the big league roster and who's going to be there on opening day and the guys who are going to make an impact at the big leagues this season. But as has been the case with the Marlins over the last three and a half years now as we get into year four of the rebuild, watching the prospects and seeing how they're developing has been a big storyline, and this year has been no different. Uh, There are a handful of topics and about six or seven guys who I'm trying to go in depth with. And I know you have a good perspective on a lot of these guys too, Andre. Uh, The first, the first one is uh, JJ Bleday and Max Meyer. Uh, Mm. Mattingly announced late last week that uh, Max Meyer is not pitching in any of the grapefruit league games, nor are any of the pitchers from that 2020 draft cycle who are in camp. That includes Jake Eater, Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambly, and, did I say Jake either?
0: Oh yeah. They did. They yeah. Did. I did. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. The three of them and Max Mike. that's, that's, yeah. those are the four.
0: Yeah. Right. The guy, the so, guys left that they drafted last year. And it makes perfect sense yeah. because you know, they, they lost all of last year, the minor league season just had the work at the site. So I don't think they want to throw them into the fire that fast. They want to get a good look at them really kind of, you know, you know, control that scenario for each of them now in the spring. And but you know, you mentioned Bladé and Max, who faced off the other day and, exactly. and had kind of mixed results. One, you know, at one point, you know, Meyer got Bladé. Bladé hit a nice one off of Meyer. So, so you like to see that. You like to see the glimpses of both guys doing well and continuing to progress. You know, real quick, I'll start with JJ, and I think you know the, the power he showed it. You know, he already homered early in the spring, and I think that you know you're starting to see some of those tools that have been talked about so much kind of translate into into actual game action. And that's that was the whole point with a lot of these guys is to finally see them, you know, consistently on that basis. We saw JJ only for like a brief it feels like a cup of coffee at Jupiter before everything happened. And now we're getting to see him, you know, against some of the big leaguers, obviously, and and it's you know it's encouraging, you know, we were talking about lefty bats. That's the big one coming in at some point when he finally makes his debut. But with Max, I mean that again, that that mix of that that you know potent fastball the slider is is sick and you saw you saw some glimpses of that already this spring. So I think when you look at him overall, even though he won't see too much action, again, you're starting to see what, what that, that pitch mix, the capability, the, the the potential that it really has to make him you know, a, a starter for for a long time in that in that rotation if everything goes well. And another guy that um, we didn't mention, but I want to talk, want to briefly talk about, is Braxton Garrett, because (laughs) it was interesting to see the velo uptick too, because that was one of the things I know when I did the some work for the for Baseball America, they a lot of people noted that drop last year, and that's probably and that's why that was part of the reason he struggled in the the brief appearance that he made. And people wondered, you know, this is a guy who's coming off Tommy John a couple of years ago. So whenever you see that, you know, eyes open up a little bit. But if, if he's that was a good, encouraging sign to see that he's up to there He's never going to be obviously he's never going to be a 98, 99 guy. But to see that a little better into the low 90s and continuing to build up sounds like maybe he's there's a little even more in there that can touch a little higher. Plus the, the curveball that he has and the mix that he has, that's going to be huge. And I think that's where he can recover from maybe a bit of a negative uh, 2020 and keep progressing. And and this is, remember, a guy that still has a lot of high expectations within the organization to be a potential starter down the road.
1: Yeah, with Braxton, his first spring start, he was hovering around 92, 93. And he said that his hope is by the end of spring, he's up to about 94, 95. So he said with a little bit more conditioning, a little bit more reps, that he thinks he can get to 95 by opening day, which would be really encouraging considering the, just the change of speed he has between that and the curveball, which when that curveball is on, that can be a very, very, very deadly pitch. Absolutely. So if you can if you can mix those speeds and have the command with both of those, that's going to be really good. And just to round out today once more, in addition to the power, just his approach at the plate. He just he doesn't look like a guy who's only played in thirty so thirty or so minor league games so far. He just he has that professional approach. He drew a couple. He drew a walk in the game against uh, the Mets on Sunday in Port Saint Lucie, and he just he has a really good feel for the strike zone. Which, between that and his high hit rate with the power coming along, that's just that's a recipe that's going to help him move through the minors really quick.
0: What what's funny is that that you, you just said pretty much like the the same thing you've heard like throughout the time from from Vanderbilt all the way to here with him. Like when I went to see him at Vandy in, in the regionals a couple of years ago. That's always the 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 high praise he gets you know from us in the media from scouts from coaches that that have seen him you know it, it's the maturity, and everybody always says he seems so advanced for this point then he was you know when he was at Vanderbilt then he gets then he gets drafted he comes to the market, oh he seems so advanced at that point now this year he seems so advanced at this point like every every level that he's been to it's always that same reaction to how he looks out there. And that's a good, that's a really good thing because that really translates to a guy that may be able, if all goes well to when he does arrive, maybe hit the ground running and not have the hitting struggles that a lot of the prospects in the system have had when they've had their first experience. Something else that you documented recently, how, you know, a lot of guys, Monte Harrison, Wendy Diaz, Jesus Sanchez, they've all come up and they've struggled at the beginning. Lewis Brinson went through it. Maybe JJ doesn't. Who knows? Maybe he comes up, and we're not looking at a guy hitting 110 for for like a month. Maybe maybe he lights it on fire because of that experience and that advanced approach.
1: Yeah, and speaking of some of those guys who did struggle last year, that's one of the next guys groups I want to talk with between Leywin Diaz and Jesus Sanchez. Again, both lefties who yeah. are on the up and coming. Yeah. Uh, we got the chance to talk with both of them, Leywin yet on Sunday, and Jesus Sanchez. Believe it was either Saturday or Sunday. The days are blurring together. Just like Don Madding, I think we've gotten him six times who are already saying he has no idea what day of the week it is.
0: Uh, <laughs> that's every year with yeah, every manager. That's,
1: that's every year, but it's also the fact that we're already at that point two weeks in the Groundhog spring training. Just, it yep. just means that we're back. We're back. Yep. So, But specifically with both Lewin and Jesus, they both had no problem admitting that after their first taste of the big leagues, their confidence was shot in a sense. Yeah. Lewin said that he... It took him a while to slowly start building himself back up. Jesus Sanchez said, quote unquote, I wasn't having fun anymore after yeah. being up there, which I guess going one for 25 yeah. in your big league debut, something that you were waiting to do for years. Yeah. And just as Lewis Brinson said, got smacked. It, <laughs> it kind of, yeah. it's a wake yeah. up call. And for Jesus Sanchez specifically, and I think Laywin said something along the same lines as well. Once they got in the winter ball and after a week or so, they reset and went, I'm just going to be me. Right. Jesus Sanchez went, it's great to finally feel like Jesus Sanchez again. He had a little bit of a run at the end of the winter ball league. Laywin did the same and they're both showing confidence so far in spring training. Laywin has played in every game so far and his at-bats seem to get a little bit better as he goes. His defense seems to be getting a little bit better as it goes Jesus Sanchez, again, he's in that crowded outfield spot, so we know he's more likely to be in that triple-A group to start. But to see them, these happy-go-lucky guys who said, yeah, I wasn't so happy after everything, and they're taking the struggles that they had to heart, and they're doing what they had to do over the offseason during that time away to reset themselves and show that their little success that they find in spring have to just be an example of what's going to be the grander scale of what's to come for them.
0: Well, look. This is the big leagues, and things are not going to be happy-go-lucky, not just all the time, but a lot of the time. And how you respond to that really shapes who, what kind of player you're going to be at that point, and I think it's its good to see that both of them took that lesson. And starting with Jesus, I mean, I think that it echoes what I heard from people that talked about that one-for-25 stint. They said the moment kind of got to him. You know, he came up and, and just got away from what – what he's used to doing, what he's, what his, you know, his approach, everything. And he needed to take that step back. And I'm glad to see that he did, and even though it was at the alternate site and not against other teams, but it, but it was refreshing for him to get it back there. I mean, this is a guy with, you know, ridiculous tools. It was said since the day they got, you know, since we went, since Tampa, you know, first had him. And then when the Marlins acquired him, you couldn't wait to see what he could do. At this level and i think that you know sometimes this happens and i think he's going to be fine i think they're there you'll see more of that He'll, he'll he'll have a more composed more experienced approach the next time he gets that chance and you could hear that just in the way he talks and then with diaz his defense again people have said it's major league ready he and and i like how he bounced back because you're going to make mistakes and the way he did after that one the other day is encouraging. I mean, that's something that he has to do time and again as he gets more and more experience. But I think with him, that's what it comes down to. I think it's just a matter of time and experience. The power's there. It's a matter of plate discipline and can he continue to, to get better, a little better pitch selection, a little better you know, approach at the plate to, to be able to hit more consistently. I like the fact that he played winter ball and was around both Cano and Fernando Tatis Jr. He was saying he was trying to, you know, I guess just pick up some things from them, you know, being around those guys is a good thing. I mean, all those guys hang out, even if it's there at the park, you know, all day, that sort of thing. So that whole experience, I think is just going to help him tremendously. I mean, these are two key pieces from those trades, uh, uh, you know, a couple of years ago that are going to be very important. We've penciled them in as like, when we do those projected 2022 lineups and whatnot, these are two mainstays. So they, so they need to, to produce and really, you know, come up strong the next time they get the opportunity.
1: Yep. And to transition now to another guy, uh, Hararon Carnacion. He's an outfielder, he sees the pop on yep. Sunday. We saw him at first base, <laughs> which is something that took me for a bit of a surprise. I mean, I looked through his minor league records, he played four minor league games all time throughout his career at first base. And Mattingly made it clear he's an outfielder through and through. But a they want to get him at bats, and there's just a surplus of outfielders, and b a lot of people inside the Marlins development staff think this could be a pretty good secondary position for him. We saw him make a a decent pick play on a low throw in the fifth inning on Sunday, but we know that that's not his natural position. You can tell there were a little times he was uncomfortable, but Mm. just being able to add that versatility to his game and especially when you consider outside of Lewin Diaz, there really isn't that much dwelling in the minors at first base or either corner outfield for that matter. Just the fact that you can potentially get him some reps there, that could open up a window for him long-term.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, he's not an extremely fast guy, but he has a tremendous arm. I mean, it's one of the best arms in the system, you know, when you look at him back out there playing right field, which, you know, will help. But but look at but look at the frame of this guy. 6'5", roughly around 240. I mean, that's a big dude. You could put him – if he could play first base, he covers a lot of space there, a lot of, you know, the height, everything, the, the, the just the, the body – and some of that is obviously an experience. He hasn't played the position a lot, but if he, if he got comfortable there, he'd be a tremendous asset. And this, and, and this organization needs to, we'll have to eventually get creative in terms of move, moving pieces around with that surplus you were talking about. So this would be interesting if he could play that as well as right field. And the power is just, we, we saw it. He put balls on the roof out there in, in Jupiter in the past, you know, when he, when he's come up and played in those games before the last couple of years. So, I mean, some ridiculous arm strength, power, everything. The, the tools are there. He's not a great runner, so again, you look at that too. But I mean, I think overall, it, it's interesting to see how you could move a guy like that to that spot. And again, like I I I mean, I look at him if he if he starts making those big stretch plays with his with his size, not bad to see at first base.
1: I just envisioned him trying to do a G-man choice split. And I don't know how that's going to would actually play out there. <laughs> yeah. I
0: don't, I don't know about that either, but I'm just saying like a high throw. I mean, with his height and, and you know, I think he's got a pretty good wingspan as far as I can tell, you know, it, it, it's not bad to have a, a guy like that at first if, if, if down the road, if you needed to.
1: Yep. And then the last two guys I wanted to talk about uh, Jose Devers and Joe Dunan. Jose Devers yeah. is a guy that you and I have talked about plenty of times off camera, just about, how much we love this kid's defense, his versatility out there, and he's improved his swing a lot. And then Joe Dunan, who we who seems to get lost in the shuffle a little bit just because I mean he's 25 years old, he isn't one of the top 30 prospects per se. But when you look at your corner outfield spots, outside of our good friend Eddie Alvarez, Joe Dunan's really it in terms of the upper level guys who you would think could get some big league time, should something end up happening knock on wood, it doesn't to Brian Anderson and they need to make moves.
0: Yeah. I mean, first, I'd like to thank Jose Devers for uh, making my uh, placement of him in the top 10 for BA look good because (laughs) that's the one day I went back and forth a lot on who to put number 10 and so far so good picking him there. But uh, you knew this kid was going to be, you know, we've seen the, we've seen the, just the, the the whole makeup of, of what he brings to the table in terms of tools and that sort of thing. You just, we're hoping he could stay healthy. I mean, playing third is interesting considering, you know, we're not really talking about a plus arm there, but you see how much he, he, him filling out, which I know you documented that. Now he's about six feet, 174, which is about 20, 25 pounds more than he was when he first, when they first acquired him, which is 100, good.
1: 150 soaking wet per Donnie.
0: Exactly. So so you, you knew this guy had to put on some good weight, some good muscle, that sort of thing, and kind of fill out. And not that he's suddenly going to become a power hitter or anything like that. We know he's not going to do that, but maybe it increases the arm strength a little better for a guy to play third base. Like he did. I mean, the one thing is his instincts, the good break to the ball that he usually tends to have and the solid glove, all that makes up for maybe if his arm is a little weaker than typical third baseman, you know, if he were to play that spot, but I think down the road, you're still kind of looking at a guy that you want to have in the middle infield mix primarily. And we've even talked about him maybe being, the second base, uh, the second baseman down the road, should Isan Diaz not work out. And once jazz moves over to short, that sort of thing. So that could still be in the mix, but encouraging signs for this kid, especially, you know, the fact that you are starting to see those defensive tools kind of translate to the big league level. I'm looking forward, hopefully, if he can, if he can stay healthy and make it to Pensacola this year and kind of keep, you know, the upswing and the, and continue to progress uh, throughout his development.
1: Yeah, and then the last guy, Joe Dunan, who, again, we haven't really talked too much about because yeah. he hasn't Enjoy. really been part of that prospect stuff, but he really finally started turning heads in winter ball this past winter. Yeah. Uh, down in Dominican Republic, he hit 319, 23 for 72, seven doubles, three home runs, 12 ribbies, five runs scored in 21 games. Uh, yeah. He's looked solid. Not The numbers aren't going to pop out you this spring, but really, again, spring training numbers are spring training numbers. He's looked good wherever Donnie's put him in the, outf- in the infield, which has primarily been third base. And he's been the defensive replacement just about every time around. And he looks like he can handle the job. Obviously, Brian Anderson's your third baseman. He's going to be there. But if you get into that situation where you're in a pinch, it looks like Dunan could be that spot, that filling guy, if should the Marlins end up needing it.
0: Yeah, and, and look, and you look at Joe Dunan the clock is ticking on him because like you pointed out to me, I didn't realize he was already 25. I mean, I know he was a college guy went to NC state, you know, flashed a lot early. You know, I remember the the home run he hit in the spring a couple of years back, made a lot of noise. I remember you guys, he showed some power, you know, good defense, but he did struggle a bit, but this is a guy that is, you know, it's almost like he started out at this, a big time prospect. And now he's kind of slipped under the radar. But with a good spring, he could put himself right back in the mix. And like you said, I mean, I still, I think I still had him on the depth chart. He was the top guy in the system at third, you know, because they just don't have much. So again, fortunate circumstance there. Where if he does continue to develop and he continues to bounce back and progress, he could slip right up and slip right up there into that type of a spot where he's the next option. And then you're looking at if he makes a big league debut, then seize the opportunity, and who knows? I mean, you know. It- a rod's nephew. We always we always look at me. He sounds like A rod. He looks a lot like A rod. Yes, he does. <laughs> and if he could play even a tenth as well as A rod, I mean, then then you've got something, and it's just an added bonus when in terms of uh, organization depth. As far as if you could bring this guy up, who once was uh, a top, I think he I, I could have sworn he was in the top fifteen. I don't remember exactly. Was he a top fifteen prospect when at the beginning? Because I know he was top twenty.
1: He I was, think. I think he might have been.
0: He yeah. might have been because he was rated pretty high until a lot of until the Marlins obviously picked up all these other you know prospects over the years, the last few years here. But but you know, this is a guy that came in with a lot of hype and people thought he could be, you know, maybe not his uncle good, but pretty decent addition to the organization. So if he can start to show, it'd be huge.
1: Yeah, I'm pulling up their list right now. Uh, Dunan was number 23 at the end of the 2017 season.
0: Interesting. Okay. So, so I, I could have sworn he was in the top 20 at least, but, but either way, I mean, it, it's a guy, he's a guy who they talked about a lot as a potential, especially considering how shallow their prospect pool was on the left side of the infield there and still is.
1: Yeah. But again, it's just, it's spring training's here. We finally were getting that much closer to opening day and we will have a lot more to talk about as this month unfolds. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of fish bites thanks so much again for listening everyone and we will be back again next tuesday thanks so much guys